You know those, but I want to talk this morning about glory in the cross. Should have had John sing it too, uh, but or play it because he could have done it, or Harlan. And uh, so, uh, but it's so good. Or Margaret, all oh, I know, several of you could have sung that song and just done it justice and beautiful. But uh, I want to talk about glory only in the cross today. Glory only. In the cross of Jesus Christ today. And again, thank you. I'll talk more at the end. A couple of things I want to do at the end, but I'll talk to you about uh, uh, the, the, the coffee shop was so, such a help, and I appreciate that. We did get to minister to several people, and it was so wonderful to sit down with people from various places around here and just get to talk to them and spend time with them. And looking forward to the next one. But uh, but let's talk about glory in the cross. I want to, I want to make sure we really understand why Jesus had to die, because we'll sing songs like, uh, I'm free, like we'll, or he set me free, or I'm free, but do we really know why we're free? If I were to ask you, why are you free, could you tell me why you're free this morning? And I want to I know that we really understand why, why we are free. And there's a lot of theology that could help us with that. And I, there's some words here today. I'm going to break it down. Uh, sometimes the youth and different people will say, uh, uh, break, break down some of these words that you use. Well, theology is simply the study of God. And so you are all theologians because even even an atheist is a theologian because he has studied God and determined there is not one. So so uh, theolo- you're a theologian here today. Everybody in the room is. We all have studied God, and so that's simply when I use the word theologian or theology today, it's simply the study. Of God, and I believe there's some theology that can help us understand why we're free and what we should glory in. And there's all kinds of theologians, there's all kinds of theology, and today we're going to talk about a couple of those. We're going to talk about a couple of types of theologians here, and I want to look at Galatians 6 14. If you'll open your Bibles or look on the screen, and here's what the Apostle Paul wrote He said, But God forbid. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I into the world. Some of the unto the world. Some other translations say I boast only in the cross and others say I only glory in the cross. I boast only in the cross or I only glory in the cross. There was a monk in the 1518s who was struggling with one of the most universal questions of all questions. Questions that I know still reverberates into our hearts today. This is a question I have asked and 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 caused me to ask uh, when I came to Christ and 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 in my heart. And I know there's people here today that are asking this question in their life. And he began to ask this question. It got down deep inside of him, and he was asking, "What is wrong with me? What is what is wrong with me? What is what is, what is wrong? Why do I not feel complete? Why do I have this nagging?" sense that there's something not right in my life and I'm not complete? Why do I feel empty inside? Anybody ever asked that question? Why do I have this sense of going on in my life? And it, for this monk and what it did for me in my life back in 1994 and prior to that, it caused this nagging uh, sense of depression. It caused this loathing inside that began to go on self-loathing uh, and perfection. I, I was trying to be a perfectionist, trying to, to, to do things to, to make myself better. 
better and to get rid of that nagging feeling and that ache that was going on inside, never being able to do enough to scratch that itch and to make things right with God, uh, just trying and failing, trying, falling more miserable, making promises that I couldn't keep and then failing in them and feeling worse about myself, then picking myself back up by the bootstraps and promising I'm going to do better next time and I'm going to do more, I'm going to read more, I'm going to pray more, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to preach harder, I'm going to do more things that I could ever do, realize, and finally this monk, searching for this question, realizes that all the questions that he has going on in himself are really found in one root question, and it was this root question that he came down to. How can I arrive at righteousness that will enable me to stand before the throne of God? How can I arrive at a righteousness that will enable me to be able to stand before the throne when I stand before the throne and I stand in Him complete? Come on. Jesus paid it all. I mean, to be able to stand before the throne and stand in Him complete? I mean, that's the, that's the ache that was in my soul. How in the world can I get before the throne of this holy God? And how in the world can Brad Lindsay stand before this God who is holy, who has never sinned, who is perfect? How can I come down and stand before this holy God in completion there and feel whole and feel like He is, he is pleased? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things I'll make you ruler over many how can Brad Lindsay come down to the place that's what this monk Martin Luther was asking the question are we righteous before God and how can I be righteous before God how can I be in right standing before God and he was seeking for this and searching for this and finally he had a breakthrough and it turned Catholicism on its head it turned an entire uh, group of people it, it, it sent them into a complete upside down turning that word world when he had a breakthrough in 1518 and, and and his soul was set free I mean literally that freedom like we sing about that he set me free I mean Martin Luther for the first time had a free soul and he was set free and he was alive inside and songs begin to enter his heart he began to write them down maybe you've heard him before a mighty fortress is our God and he began to write these songs and pin these songs and begin to have a joy in his heart because he found out that righteousness is not found in him and in doing something to get himself back into the favor of God, but righteousness is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's what he found out. He found out that it's the blood that makes me righteous. And so he went and got with 30 young monks like himself or so. There were about 30 or so. And they joined in a revolution called the Protestant Reformation. What became later the Protestant Reformation. And it's affected our lives all the way down. That's why you're sitting in a Protestant church. That's why you're sitting in this place. Because he came to a point where he recognized we are justified by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And he said it comes down to two things. And this is what I want you to get. It's not big words. You don't have to. What did I say theology is? The study of God. It came down to two things. Martin Luther came down to two thoughts that he had. And it was simply this. Two types of theologians or two types of theology. Number one, there is a theology of glory. And number two, there is a theology of the cross. There is a theology of glory. And there is a theology of the cross. And Luther 
never said you have to come and turn out of a theology of glory and you have to turn to a theology of the cross if you are going to be set free. Now, I'm not talking about glorying in God right here. I'm not talking about honoring God. Luther was talking about glorying in self. He was talking about the glory of self or what we call self-glory because the Bible tells us we were all created in the image of God. We were all created male and female in God's image, in God's likeness. We were created in the garden and we were filled with the glory of God, John. We were filled with the glory glory of God. We were complete. We were content. We walked with God in the cool of the day. Adam sat there and communed. He had no shame in, in his life whatsoever. He was whole. When I stand before the throne, I stand in Him complete. Adam stood there complete. Eve stood there with complete. They were naked and they were unashamed. There was nothing there to hide from God. There was nothing in their character. They were not, can we change a leper's spots? They had none at that point. But, but, and all of a sudden there, they're standing in Him complete. But you know the story. You know it didn't last. And they fell into temptation. And they were separated from God. There was brokenness in relationship with God. Brokenness in relationship with each other like we have. They begin to blame each other. It's the woman's fault that you gave me. Why did you give her to me? She caused me to do this. And all of a sudden there's separation. There's blaming going on. There's shame. And we have all sinned, Paul wrote later, and come short of the glory of God. We stood in the glory of God. We were filled with the glory of God. Filled with the presence of God. And now we fail. And man has something wrong. He doesn't feel. He feels like Martin Luther. He feels like Brad Lindsay. There's questions. Why do I feel this way? Why am I prone to backsliding? Why am I prone to this bent of sin? Why do I want to do things that I don't want to do and don't need to do? Why do I promise? God that I'll never do this again why don't I feel whole why don't I feel right when I stand before a holy God and something was missing in the heart now because we have fallen and we're missing out on the heart of God and we're no longer walking in the glory of God and now there's something in the heart of Adam and us that we are longing we're kicked out of the garden we're out of the glory of God and now there's something that wants to claw and scratch our way back, Cindy, into that garden. How can I get back to that feeling I had in the garden? I feel broken inside. I feel aching inside. I look at pornography and I fail God. And I promise Him I'll never do it again. And I want to feel like I felt in the garden. So I claw and I ache, I lie, I cheat, I do something. And I, and I want to feel the way that I felt back in the garden, but I can't get back to that place. How do I get back to that place? And we really long for the glory that we had once before in the Garden of Eden. Like, you know, when we talk about the fall, I talk a lot about the depravity of men. But you understand, before the depravity came, look, and you better understand the depravity so that you'll understand that we need a Savior. But before the depravity, He looked at us and said, it's very good. What I made is very good. 
and, and, and so now there's this longing to get back to that very good place, that place of feeling very good and very whole. And so we attempt to claw back to that glory. And we, 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 here's how we do it sometimes. Take drugs. Right? Because I've got to just feel a little bit of pleasure again. Maybe I could feel whole again. Or we do it with a life of sexual immorality. Or, or we do it uh, to experience just a little bit. Or we try to get rich. Because if I could just fe- get rich, I would feel good about myself. And these things. Or we attend church. Or we become a pastor. Or we try to go do ministry. Because we're looking to find that former glory and something to make us feel good again. And so we a- attempt to claw our way back into the garden. We are attempting to claw there. And number one, I want to tell you, a th- talking about the theology of glory first before we talk about the theology of the cross, but a person who, uh, a theologian of glory is someone who is seeking glory through human strength to enter back into the garden after the fall. That's the first point. Number one, I don't know if I put these on the PowerPoint because I didn't have time. A theologian of glory is someone who is seeking glory through human strength to enter back into the garden after the fall. That's why Martin Luther said you've got to come out of that and you've got to come to a theologian or a theology of the cross and the cross alone because this this theologian of glory which we all have been at one time or the or another is saying this if I could just strive enough if I could just have a proper religious understanding if I could just do life right then I could get back into the glory of God and that's why churches bought into this theology and they're preaching a terrible terrible heretical theology today and it's preaching a theology of glory. Glory. Uh, it's, it's, it's where uh, it's a pursuit of self-glory now. Where we're pursuing self. You have the ability in yourself. And, and you can be aided by God's presence. And, and, and I can access this glory through human effort. Through self-achievement. Through self-fulfillment. And the Bible has a name for it. It's called self-righteousness. And it's putting confidence in the flesh. Striving to be godly. Striving to look like God. I can access the glory through human effort. I can access the glory through self-achievement. I want the former glory and I know how to get it. I'll read more. I'll pray more. I'll do good things. I'll, I'll go on the mission trip. I'll join the praise team. I'll keep the nursery. I will do something because I want to feel good and get back into the glory. And so we bombard our kids in this culture with that same type of thinking. They paint one of the ugliest pictures in the world and what do we do we put it on the on the on the uh, the refrigerator and we say you might be a picasso or they sing the worst note in the world and we say you might be the next elvis presley or beyonce or we Do it in our schools. That's not an F. We're going to give you a gold star. And we do it in sports. We're not going to keep score here because everybody's a winner. I got news for you. I kept score when my kids played. Right? Even when they weren't. 
We're up by such and such and such and such. And, 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 because, and, and then we do it, we do it, uh, we, 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 we do it in uh, uh, churches, as I said. We do it in the church. We, we, we do it with positive reinforcement. We do it with, with uh, uh, all these things that we begin to tell. A theologian, uh, theologian of glory number two uh, it believes all we need to answer this nagging question of what is wrong in the deepest recesses of my heart. They believe all you need is positive reinforcement or optimism surrounding you. In other words, that's where I was saying, if you painted the ugliest picture, if you did this, or you go to school and we don't give grades, if we just positively reinforce our children enough, then they, then that this will bring them out of that. How's that working, America? And then we come into church, you are glorious, you are wonderful, you are amazing, you can do anything. And hearing messages that I can hardly tell the difference between Oprah Winfrey or Joel Osteen. You can do it, just try hard enough, just smile more, just be happy more, just claim your inheritance, just believe in yourself. And it's heretical and it's false teaching. It is, and it's time somebody stands up. Pop psychology, self-help industry is one of the biggest industries in this to prop us up with self-esteem, with unceasing optimism, calling us good when we're evil. We're calling, calling good evil and evil good, not calling out sin any longer in the church, not having altar calls because we'll hurt somebody's feelings or offend them, not calling sin, sin, propping up people through praise, adoration, affirmation, and optimism. More we prop people up. And here's the problem. The more we prop people up, even in our churches, the more depressed we are coming as a people. Because we don't understand that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now optimism, before you think this guy never put his kids' pictures up and told them how wonderful they were. I'm not saying not to have optimism. Optimism has its place, but has anybody ever heard of a word called pan-ultimate? Pan-ultimate. I'm not going to call Joseph out and let him tell me what it means. <laughs> it's pan-ultimate is a word that means it's good, but it's right behind it in second place. Okay? Are you, you jiving with me? Pan altar. It's, it's not bad. It's good. But it's not the best thing. There's something better. And that, there's, there's something more ultimate. There's something more. Di- it's not quite ultimate. It's pan ultimate. It's close, but it's not the best. And so what makes me righteous or acceptable for God? Once you get that straight, then all the other questions that we have begin to fall in place. Once you get that question answered, everything else begins to be okay. A theology of glory number three operates under the assumption of what we need is optimistic encouragement. Very briefly in society today, there are three or four things that, that prominent ways we're pursuing the, to begin this, theolo- this theology of glory. Number one, the first one is moralism. Moralism. Philippians 3.3, 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. A theologian of glory puts confidence in the flesh. They put 
it in the flesh. If you, if you go to the most popular websites today on television and you search the most popular preachers today, which I get very bothered because that's where most people are going to get their sermons and going to watch Christian television and things. And, it, and, and the things that you hear are this when you, when you surf the, 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 the internet and the places because it gets real hard to find the right people out there to listen to. But here's what the most searched things for most of your preachers are. It's things like this. You can have one of the healthiest marriages in your life. You can become wealthy. You can find destiny. You can find the brilliance of, of your future. Does anybody hear the word that we're starting out every sentence with? You. 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 Every sermon starts with you. I don't, I, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Jesus today. I don't want to come to church and talk about you and talk about me. I, I, want to come to ch- I don't want to come to church and get self-help and self-improvement. They have their place. I don't want to just come here and feel a little bit better about myself. I can go to the bookstore and find plenty of stuff on that. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation has two truths in it. And these are the two truths that are a problem all through the Word of God. Number one is law and number two is the gospel. And we've got to know how to distinguish between the two and know what the two are used for. Number one, if you are living under the law, then you will be a theologian of glory. If you're living under the law, you will be a theologian of glory. I have lived most of my Christian life in the deep south under the law. Saved in 1994, became into the church, and then most of my striving that I was already doing before began to kick in again in a newer way. And the law demands, it it requires actionable things, does it? It does. You shall not steal. It's requiring some sort of action. The problem is, is there's never any power available to do it. There's no power behind a stone command to be able to do what it's telling us to do. It's good. It's very good. It's right. We should do it, but we can't do it. We have no power to do it. And so it began to live under this weight and condemnation of the law. What is wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why do I keep failing? Why am I so miserable? Why am I such a, a wretch? Why, why am I keep doing this? And so what it kicks in to people like me is I need to try harder. The law demands, come on, Brad, try harder. Do it. Do something else. Do something more. Why am I not righteous enough? Why why am I, if I read more, if I prayed more, if I studied more, and then the cross is in the middle. And on one side, on the law side, the works are what? As filthy rags. But what's so beautiful? So you come to the cross and you hang on to your filthy rags and you say, oh, the cross, but you continue to work. But on the other side is what's so beautiful when you come and glory only in the cross. He turns our works into something glorious. We give and, and we're blessed by our giving. We, 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 we love our wives and we're blessed by doing those things. He turns our works into God's workmanship. And now he's doing such the works are bad over here. They're good over here. Amen. And so the confident assessment of the theologian of glory is that good work, self-righteousness, effort done by obedience to the divine law must be the way back to glory. 
This must be the way I get back. But the problem, as I said earlier, is the inability to keep the law. That's the problem. It's not just that you don't keep the law. The problem is you're a sinner. You're a sinner. And a lot of us still in this room, especially if you're self-righteous, have a problem like the people at AA the first time when they can't say, I'm an alcoholic. And we got a lot of people in Christianity that, that, I've, that call themselves saved and Christians, and they can't even say the word, I'm a sinner. Because they're pride. And the problem is not that we prove how good we are. The problem is you don't know how bad you are. That we really need help, but it's not a self-help project. It's not self-help that we need. We need the blood of Jesus. We need the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Behold the Lamb of God. There He is. He takes away the sin of the world. Follow Him. The law produces a powerlessness in us. Look at what Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on works of the law are under what? You're under the curse of Deuteronomy 28. All who rely on works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. You want to be under the law? Go ahead. But you've got to keep every single one of them and do them. Moses took the children of Israel on the law. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the law to you. And here's your part. You answer and say, yes, that's good. And we will do it all. And I'm thinking, I can't do that. And they couldn't do that, even though they answered and said, we'll do it. In Luke 10 through 12, the, man, the lawyer comes, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus comes back with the law. What does the law say? And there's proof that the law has not done its complete work in the man because he said, I've kept it all. And then Jesus nails him and shows him, no, you haven't. Go and do this or go and do that. And he begins to tell him a story about. And so, he, he, so, so Romans 7, 9 tells us this, that we're under a curse if we're under the law. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, revived, and I died. So what does the law do also? It, it, it kills me. The law kills us. It's meant to drive us to the solution and not, not of ourselves but of God. It's meant to drive us to the place where we can get the help that we need. It's meant to bring us to a place where our mouth is stopped guilty before God and it drives us to the mercy of God. It drives us to the one who came and lived and died a sinless life and kept the law perfectly in our stead and in our state so that we can join ourselves with Him. Amen? and be an heir and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Romans 5.20 says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass or the sin, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It increased it by saying to you, here are some sins that you didn't even know you were sinning. That's what the law comes and does. It begins to point out things and say, Brad, you think you're righteous? 
Let me show you another place where you're falling well short of the glory of God. And it begins to point out things where we're falling short of God. And I'm glad it points out those things. But number two, it increases the sin that you're trying to stop. What do you mean, Brad? It means that back when I used to look at pornography, and then I would feel so guilty and so shameful and so sick at myself after I would begin to look at it, that I would, that I would get so bad and so miserable and just hate myself that I would want to do it now more because I felt worse about myself after I looked at it than I did before. And I said, ah, oh, I feel horrible. Now I want to do it even more. Because the ache is so bad. Now it's far worse than it was before. Now I'm more miserable. And so those bad feelings made me need that sin even more. It's like a drug addict. The, the law is this. Thou shalt not use drugs. Thou shalt, not, uh, thou shalt quit. The law is good, but it's powerless to set the addict free from their addiction. The law proclaims something to be done, but it does not show us, empower us, or grace us with the ability to accomplish the thing that God calls us to to do. God is doing that to get rid of the theology of glory in your life. And there's still a lot of people in the south, the Bible Belt, that need it out of them. When I go to New York City, sit in a congregation, and the people tell me we came to the Bible Belt because we wanted to see what the Christians were like down there. We've heard about them, and when we got there, we were very disappointed. Because they're religious. Materialism is another thing that we do with this theology of, uh, of, of self. I'll feel good and return to glory if I have enough money. If I have enough success. If I have enough fame, if I have enough fortune, if, if my company's in the Fortune 500, if I get another one is Christian nationalism. Hear me, people, because the election is coming up. Let me get this into you, Democrats and Republicans. Christian nationalism, that is a move from personal prosperity and faith into national sense of morality. It's, a, it's America can become great again if we just have morality and get the bad people to doing the good things. Listen, that would be a great thing, but the hope for America is a spiritual revival and a spiritual awakening, not just getting bad people to become moralistic. Amen? And that's the big thing today. It's a big seller, and people are making it a religion. They're making it their religion. Listen, I hope the next election goes the way I want it to as well. I love America just as well. I'm as patriotic as the next guy. I love this country. I love this nation. But there are some dangerous, dangerous doctrines of demons and devils that are flying around everywhere, and I see Christians falling hook, line, and sinker getting caught up in the riffraff of all of these things and putting their hope in places that they're never going to be satisfied or answered in. Your hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. All other ground is sinking sand. So I hope I've convinced you that the theology of glory is not sufficient. Luther secondly talked about a theology of the cross. A theology of the cross. And that's understanding that at the cross of Jesus is where I find my hope. Amen. That at the cross of Jesus. Listen, 
That at the cross of Jesus I find my hope. That it's not in self-help America or movements of my own flesh. It's not in our own ability, but it comes from grace that is found in Jesus Christ. The cross is dying to every form of self-merit, glory, aspiration, or ever thinking it is possible to obtain it by self-effort. It's not you plus Jesus. It's not your good works plus Jesus. It's not anything else in you helping Jesus. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And the cross puts an end to these things totally. That's what Martin Luther came to realize. The cross is putting an effort to my penance, to my beating myself on the back, to this doctrine of writing a check in hopes if I write a big enough check through this system or this religion that I can have better merit or I can get out of this purgatory or I can get out of this place. No, he realized there's nothing I can do. There's no amount of praying. There's no amount of feeling sorry for myself. There's no amount of beating myself up. It's only glorying in the cross of Jesus Christ. And at the cross, it puts an end to Brad. It puts an end to Martin Luther. It puts an end to you. And it puts an end to everything. Listen, theologians of the cross know that they cannot be helped by mere optimism. By appeals to seek glory or wisdom. By positive thinking. Because these things in themselves are the problem. The cross is striking at the root. It's laying the axe at the root. The cross extinguishes the flame of self-achievement and self-righteousness. It burns out confidence in the flesh and then leaves us helpless, hopeless, and desperate for the alternative, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. The alternative's pretty good while you're laying there in your misery, understanding that you need to die and you're not enough. But let me tell you, once you die, the alternative is great. It's Him, folks. It's Him. And He is so good. Amen? The cross is the only true right means to restore what is missing. The cross does not coddle false optimism, but it calls sin, sin. We need preachers in pulpits calling sin, sin again. It calls sin to be put to death. It calls the sinner to be put to death. We got people in... So-called Christians who are not crucified with Christ. They've just added Jesus to their good life. They're not redeemed. They're not born again. They're not born of water and the Spirit and the blood. They're not born by the Word of God. They just simply came down, recited a prayer, and added Jesus to their same old sin and lives. You must be born again, Nicodemus. Being a Pharisee is not going to do it. Being the top dog at the, at the, at the, at the tabernacle is not going to do it at the synagogue. Knowing all the Torah is not going to do it. You think you find life in this. You seek and search for me and you think you find life in this. But you don't understand. This speaks of me. It's me. That you find life in. 
Jesus, the Lamb of God, the God-man, the man who became God, and or the God who became man and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory, the glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. I'm the exact image of the invisible God. I'm the firstborn of creation. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God's like, I'm Him. Look at me. It caused the sinner to be put to death so that new birth becomes a possibility. It's not tinkering with fixing or some self-improvement project, but it's actually a death. The cross is a death. This is why we don't have them in our churches anymore. This is why we remove them out of our theology and out of our songs. Do you know in a lot of hymns, they won't even put the word on that song, a wretch like me. They won't even put the word wretch because it offends people. We call people a wretch. So they say, a one like me. How offensive to God. That we become crucified with Christ, but nevertheless we will live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. That's the work of the cross. Number two, I'm almost done. The theology of the cross tells the truth. It tells the truth. Why do I feel bad about myself? Because you are bad. The cross says there's no hope for you. And we live in a culture and we don't understand how lost... And rebellious we are. We are sinners and we are at enmity with God. The Bible says we are enemies of God. I'd like for that to be preached in our pulpits again. Maybe people would get saved if they knew the truth and the reality of how far we are lost and how bad we need a Savior in this nation again. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, the Bible says. And the cross shows you how broken we are no matter how successful we are. That's why we get so uncomfortable when we see the passion of the Christ. That's why we want to turn it off. Because I put Him there. My sin put Him there. You put Him there. We all put Him there. It's me. I'm the wretch. I'm the one who put you there. And the cross being held up to that reminds us of that. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. But I could fill this place up with smile. You're wonderful. You're special. You're glorious. There is no hell. But the cross tells the truth. It tells the truth in love. It tells what I'm screaming at you today. I'm not mad at you. 
I get passionate about it because I believe it with every ounce and fiber of my being because it changed my life. I had to come to the reality. Brad is a sinner. I lived in self-righteousness all my life. I grew up in a church. I went to church. I went there. I thought I was a good boy. I was taught morals. I was one of the most moral people, and my family was one of the most moral people that you could be. But I was lost as all get out, and I looked my nose down on everybody secretly thinking, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them until one day God showed me I'm like them and far worse than them. And it was the cross. And the cross shows how broken we are no matter how successful. And unless Christ does something for us, we are hopeless. The cross is actually God's attack on sin. And there are two types of sin that He attacks. Number one, He attacks unrighteousness. That's the vile sins, that's perversion, that's unrighteous deeds, that's evil men, evil women, that's all the unrighteous things that He does. He attacks that on the cross. And the second one He does is self-righteousness. And that's the one that's so insidious and Far worse. Oh, we love getting in the church and blasting the unrighteousness. But we have a real hard time admitting that a lot of us, including myself, battle with self-righteousness. Jesus could deal with the unrighteous people. He had a hard time dealing and getting through to the self-righteous people. But thank God the cross can break through all of these things. Third, the theology of the cross is probably the way you're feeling today. An offensive theology. It's an offensive theology. It offends the righteousness that we want to do in our own strength. It attacks us because we're saying we can do it. And it says you cannot do it. Only Christ can do it. Keep saying, you're still not righteous. You're still not righteous. You're still not righteous. He is. On the cross, Jesus took our sins upon himself, and he also dealt with our self-righteousness on that cross. Not only did I die for your unrighteousness but I to forgive you, but I lived a perfect life. No, I want you to really think about that. Not only did I die for your unrighteousness, I lived a perfect life. In order to be able to forgive you. He kept every single law that Adam couldn't keep. He kept every single law that you and I cannot keep. And now when I come to the cross, I, Jesus was saying, I have no debt to pay. He came to that cross and he said, I have no debt to pay. And so now I can use my merit to give to somebody else. I'm giving it to Marcy. I'm giving it to Cole. I'm giving it to Amber. I'm giving it to Margaret. I'm giving it to Amy. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to whosoever will. I'm giving them the merit that I don't know because I don't know anything. I kept it all perfectly. And now I can give it to whom I want. I'm giving it to the world if they'll receive it. I close with this. Get, get us a song. We'll just glory on the cross today. The two th- I, heard, I heard this on the, uh, someone. A lot of this message I, I, I gleaned from someone that was a lot smarter than I am. But he tells a story of, a, of the two thieves on the cross. Two thieves. Two guilty men. Jesus hanging in the middle. 
one who owes nothing, paid, paid the, our sin there on his life, and he's paid the price in full. And all of a sudden, this thief on one side begins to say, curse him and die. Why don't we just curse this guy? And the other one says, do you not understand? This guy's done none from wrong, but we've done something horrible. That's salvation, folks. That's salvation. That's repentance. That, that's coming to a place where you recognize uh, that, that the, the law, the weight of that thing is bringing you to a place where, where it's bringing death to you and causing you to turn to the Savior and recognize your need for mercy and grace and forgiveness. And he turns to Jesus and he says, hey, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he says, yes, I will, young man. Today you will be, and before this day's over, you're going to be with me in paradise. And go with me to paradise for a few moments, to heaven. And this is just make-believe part of the story. But go with me there because this is what was such a great story. And he said, what if that man gets to the throne there or almost to the throne and he's there with the angels? And the angel says, sir, what are you doing here? I don't know. Why should you be here? I don't know. Can you tell me what justification by faith is? No, I cannot. Can you tell me what substitutionary atonement is? No. Can you tell me what Pastor Brad preached today? No, it was way above my head and my pay grade. Then why should I be here? Then why should you be here? Because the guy on the cross said I could be here. That's all you got to know. The man on the cross told me I could be here. Our glory in the cross, in the cross, lest his suffering all be in vain. I'll weep no more for the cross that he bore. Our glory in the cross. Dear Father, dear Father. Dear Father, God, we glory only in You. God, I've spent my whole life trying to please You. God, I've chopped wood for You for so long, God. I'll say even most of my ministry has been these things. God, I've, had a, I've been a theologian of glory just like Martin Luther. God, every time I fail, every time I sin, God, I, I just try harder to be righteous. I try harder to get these nagging feelings that the fall left in my soul, God. If I'm not enough to stand before the throne righteous, how could I ever stand before the throne righteous? And God, it would just send me into the law. It would just send me into working harder. I promise, God, I won't do that again. I promise, God, I won't be mean again. My flesh got the best of me on I-65 today. I promise, God, I won't get church hurt anymore. God, I don't want to be a theologian of glory. God, God, I want to be a theologian of the cross. In the cross... In the cross, 
be my glory ever. Oh, Jesus. In the cross, in the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. 